Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hello and welcome to another edition of The Bunker with me, Andrew Harrison. This edition comes out on Valentine's Day and the air is thick with erotic tension. But it's a politics podcast, so we're wondering... Why are MPs so prone to sexual misadventure? It's often said that politics is showbiz for ugly people and people don't just get into showbiz for the art. So why does Parliament produce so many sex scandals? Have they changed over the years? And can we square the old carry-on Westminster image of sexual misbehaviour in the Commons with the increasingly grim stories that have come to light over the past decade? Here with me to look at the dirty laundry of politics is sex historian, sex columnist at iNews and author of The Curious History of Sex, Kate Lister, whose own podcast, Betwixt the Sheets, looks at the history of sex. Hello, Kate. How are you doing? Hello. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day to you as well. So listen, this parliament in particular seems to be drenched in sex (laughs) scandal. Parliament has, over the decades, as long as I've been paying attention, you know, it's been, it's produced so many sex scandals, it's almost integral to politics. We've, you know, there's everything from John Profumo and his showgirls to Cecil Parkinson's love child, that classic tabloid phrase, to the unfortunate Stephen Milligan MP who was found dead in 1994 in an autoerotic asphyxiation scenario. Why is this profession so prone to extracurricular sexual misadventure? It's such a good question, isn't it? You'd need to have a comparison of every other profession and the stuff that they get up to Mm. to be able to see, like, are people in politics really more prone to extramarital affairs and to autoerotic asphyxiation and to all that stuff? Or is it just that they're in the public eye and Mm. we're always waiting for them to trip up? I'm not entirely sure, but it always strikes me as really strange. Like, look, You've got a job. You're a politician. You know you're in the public eye. You know people are watching you. You know that if any of this stuff gets out, it is, it's scandal time. And they still can't seem to keep it in their trousers. That blows my mind all the time. I just think, could you just have not had sex with the secretary? Would that have been really, really challenging and tasking for you to just not have sex with someone that wasn't your wife? And I don't know why they can't do it. Yeah, it's, it seems strange, doesn't it? I mean, the past few years, particularly the Conservatives since the, since 2010, seem to have been especially bad for it. At one point, there were more Conservative MPs suspended on sexual allegations than there were Liberal Democrat MPs 
in their entirety. Oh my God. And many of the episodes many of the episodes have been comical, like Deputy Chief Whip Chris Pincher getting suspended and losing his career for groping two men while drunk and proving nominative determinism. What are the episodes that have stood out for you? Because as a historian of these matters and how it kind of sort of defines and drives the public sphere, what stood out for you over the past few years? Do you know, it's the one that kind of gets me is the fact that Boris Johnson just had not one or two affairs, but multiple affairs. Mm. I'm I'm quite fascinated by that, how that happened, what the attraction was, why so many people seem to have, have gone for it. And the fact that we as a nation seem to have gone, oh, he used public money to, to pay for his mistress and to invest in in her business or something wasn't it yes. and and then we all just we all just kind of went oh boris you tow rag and that i find that very strange so that 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 one i thought was really interesting yeah i mean that 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 is kind of almost the defining thing it's almost kind of you can imagine that when uh, you know the history of the of the early 21st century is written the kind of tone of politics is going to be set by this this kind of this libertine you know he moved into number 10 with Carrie Simmons while still technically married to his second wife. He'd been married to for 25 years. You know, as you say, infamous are carrying on with Jennifer Akuri, but also had lost jobs because of, uh, you know, carrying on with uh, Petronella Wyatt, who had to have an abortion. And yet somehow, as far as you know, he managed not to have any further uh, affairs while prime minister. Do you think that kind of sexual incontinence is part of the appeal of Boris Johnson? That actually what you think would be something that would end a career is actually what sustained it? I think that for some reason we give Boris more leeway than we give to other people. And I think that he does, I'll just say outright, I'm not a Boris fan, but I think that he does have this kind of persona of, you know, that, that he's a bit, he does things in his own way. He doesn't play by the rules. And, and I guess that for some people that kind of, he can't stay faithful to people as well is perhaps caught up. In that, I think that his kind of bumbling buffoon persona does give him a lot of leeway. I'm not sure if it should, but I think it does. What is it about the women who are attracted to figures like Boris Johnson? Because I I look at these events and no woman I know would touch Boris Johnson with a barge pole, let alone the numerous lesser MPs. I'm no oil painting, but I look at the, these guys and go, what the hell are you seeing in them? Well, there is a very, very, very long history of politicians having affairs and having lots of sex basically oh. and it's a power thing isn't it it's uh whenever anyone's in the public eye whenever anybody even if you meet somebody off off the telly who's just in a soap you you do have that moment of like oh god wow they're, they're off the telly and if it's a politician even if it's a politician that you think is a complete prat you still know who they are they still have that cachet of i'm a politician there is power that goes along with that that's the only thing that I can think of, but it can't because it can't just be pure looks and charisma, can it? Sure. But then, mind you, he did manage to get elected, so then there's there's some people are clearly going for this guy. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a form of charisma that exists beyond physical attraction. I did a bit of nosing around a Florida State University experiment in I think 2011. Students were made to sit with someone of the opposite sex. It was very much a heterosexual experiment, a stranger of the opposite sex, and they were 
given little kind of sort of attributes or little elements of power that made them feel that they were a person of status. So they would be given, you know, a title or they would be given rights to do certain things to engender a brief feeling of power. And when that happened, they immediately were more likely to start flirting with the stranger, irrespective of who the stranger was. And even though the sense of power was entirely illusory. So it does seem to be that it's actually power itself extends into the sexual sphere in that when you have power, political power, you also kind of automatically want to express it elsewhere. Political power, any kind of power, really, if you are talking to someone and then suddenly you become aware that this person is, I don't know, a billionaire and has loads of money, your attitude to them will change. You will suddenly become, well, you might not, but I'd certainly become much more giggly and flirty (laughs) around them. Have you ever met a proper, proper, proper celebrity, like an A-list red carpet celebrity? As a former music journalist, I've met quite a lot of them. So I've, you know, I've met Madonna and I've met you know Bono and all that. See, even hearing you say that makes me go, oh my God, Madonna. Like, yeah. And I'm just listening to somebody who has met somebody of that. And, and when you were meeting them, even though you were a journalist, did you still have that, like, you know, your heart's fluttering and you're a little bit like, oh my God, it's them. It did flutter a bit when I met Kylie. <gasps> uh, it fluttered quite a lot. We're getting quite off the politics here, aren't we? But I mean, it's, it's relevant, isn't it? Because ultimately... Politics is, you know, has become not a branch of show business, but it has absorbed many of the attributes of show business. And we are drawn to power. and We find it sexy. I want to ask you, here's a case in point. Matt Hancock, possibly the most infamous old-fashioned sex scandal of, the, of, of recent years, because we'll talk about the new and more grim of style of, of, of sex scandal. But Matt Hancock gets videoed getting handsy with uh, Gina Colodelangelo, his his girlfriend, during lockdown in the, literally the corridors of power. And it wasn't so much the affair that ended his career as the fact that he broke his own rules. Do you think that the fact that it was the rule-breaking rather than the infidelity that ended him indicates that we're actually more tolerant of affairs, we're becoming more tolerant of affairs? I think we are becoming more tolerant of affairs. And it's not that people have developed an attitude of like, oh, you help yourself and we we don't care. But I think that there is a a growing reaction to them of like, is it my business? That if somebody in the public eye, a politician, a celebrity, Kylie, whoever, Mm -hmm. it suddenly comes out something about their personal life. There is a growing sense of, but is this actually my business? I think politics is different because if you're in politics, you're legislating often about things around people's private lives. You have to be exemplary. But I think that it was the fact that he broke his own COVID rules that did Matt Hancock in for that one. I think it would have been in any other situation, if it had been busted like that, people would have gone, ugh, dirty dog. Mm. But I don't think it would have ruined him. But it was the fact that he was making these rules and then so clearly violated them. And there was lots of people that were treated extremely harshly justifiably so, when they got caught breaking lockdown rules because they'd put them in place. So I think that that was the thing that did him in, was it wasn't a COVID-safe affair. And that was, we just weren't going to stand for that, quite frankly. I wonder what a COVID-safe affair would consist of. I mean, you, you can only do so much on Zoom, can't you? Maybe Microsoft Teams is sexy, I don't know. Another classic of the past decade, a much smaller scale, but this really was you know, almost out of Little Britain. The Conservative MP David Warburton, who was caught in a sex and cocaine sting. He says it was a sting. He admitted taking cocaine after drinking incredibly potent Japanese whiskey after meeting Mm. two women. Um, It's often said that the attraction of the extramarital affair is the lure of danger and that self-designated powerful people are more drawn 
to danger. It's not just the exercise of power. It's that kind of, uh, you know, poor people go shoplifting, rich people carry on with, uh, you know, a, a special advisor. Do you think there's truth to that? I think that people from all different walks of life have affairs and extramarital affairs and do stupid things and drink too much Japanese whiskey or whatever it was. But I think, first of all, is when you're in a position of power and authority and you have any kind of platform or kind of celebrity, is it politicians are a type of celebrity? I think the opportunities for sex come around mm. more because people react to you very differently. They might think they can get something out of you. So I think that happens more. But I think that power, well, I don't even think I know, power does go to people's heads. There's been numerous studies on this of how people use power when they get it, especially in regards to other people. And it's a rather disturbing fact of human nature is we don't always do positive things with it. If you feel that you are have a position of authority over somebody, it's quite common to treat them pretty badly. So maybe power really does go to people's heads. But more than power, is it the the allure of danger in that you've built this career, you've built you've built this power and sort of stepping into a place where you could lose it all is where the kind of erotic charge comes from. Because as you said at the very beginning, why in hell are these people doing this self-destructive stuff? It's just you are asking, you're basically begging to end up on the front of the sun. It must be. It must. Be. I'd love to know if there's a proper qualitative study around this, but it must be the alert of danger. And affairs and kinky stuff that people do, it is the thrill of the chase and it is the buzz of getting away with it. And people do very, very silly things when they're horny. That In the cold, sober, light of day when you're trying to explain what you did to a room full of journalists doesn't seem as appealing as perhaps it once did. But there must be some kind of allure in the danger of it. Because as you said, why else would you do that? Why would you risk everything that you have built, your reputation, your career, the people who work for you, your family, your constituents, for what? For a, a fumble and a quick, a quick orgasm somewhere. But they do, and they always have. There's a really long history of this. It's not a new thing. I wonder if it might be a misunderstanding on our part of exactly how much power ministers in particular have because the, the, yeah. the nearer you get to the top of the tree, the less volition you have, the more you are circumscribed by this is, you know, your parliamentary diary is set, your workload is is huge, you're always on, you're always in the spotlight, you're mm. always, you know, your opportunity to make decisions of your own are few and far between. And then maybe that accentuates the idea of a quick fumble behind the filing cabinets in the department of, of paperclips. Maybe, you know, it's not their power that's driving them. It's actually the lack of power. And this is one of the ways to, to just break out of that, if only for a moment and, you know, solve the risk. I guess I can understand that, you know. I mean, as much as I like to moan about politicians and everyone else does too. It's loads of fun. Like, would you want to be one? Is it such a strange life? Like you said, that that very prescribed is you are constantly on stage, you're on show, you, you have to be exemplary in everything you do. Is it any wonder that every once in a while they, they, they do something stupid? Maybe I'm being too forgiving with this. Shipping can make or break a sale. So optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. 
Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. I mentioned how the, the nature of sex scandal has changed. You know, the classic 1980s sex scandal used to be, you know, an affair with a junior researcher. Oh, no, I've got a junior member of the party pregnant again. Uh, you know, t- and then there's a tearful kind of, as I say, Little Britain style apology at the garden gates as you stand there in, with your family gathered around you and you read out a, a mea culpa. You know, it was that or it was vaguely comic things like the Labour MP Ron Davis, who was spotted, uh, I think, in the late 90s or early 2000s, emerging from a well-known cruising area. And his excuse was he'd been watching badges. And this stuff all <laughs> kind of had a, was vaguely amusing. But now it's a lot grimmer. I mean, we are very aware that what's really going on here is sexual harassment, even sexual violence. MPs have been imprisoned for rape and sexual assault in the life of these past few parliaments. Do you think that the nature of sexual misbehaviour in, in politics has changed and become that grimmer thing? Or are we now like correctly spotting it and that it's always been about coercion and power and that actually this is not a new thing? This is actually what it's always been. And what we've seen has been the kind of the carry on element. But actually behind it is a fairly kind of grim and unpleasant power imbalance. I think that's exactly right, actually. I think that this sexual harassment, abuse of power, you know, harassing people much junior to you has always happened. I'd be willing to put money on it. But standards and our attitudes around it, that's what shifted to the point now where we will we rightly recognize that that behavior isn't acceptable. And if you look back at past sex scandals, famous ones like the Profumo affair, they hit the headlines because they were really huge. Like there may have been Russian spies involved or, you know, the guy going watching for badges, going cruising. They have to be quite big events. They've got someone pregnant. They've done something stupid. They've got caught. They cheated on the wife. You know, international conflict is on the horizon. The little stuff, I say little, inverted commas, never made the papers. Because it was, it would have been absolutely accepted that there's low level sexual harassment and bad behavior and so much stuff will have got swept under the rug that is now rightly being called out. So I don't think it's that politicians' behavior has deteriorated. I think it's that we've raised our standards. As a historian of sex, and both kind of conventional sex and sexual licentiousness, which adds so much colour to life, are there sort of moments in politics that you look back and go, like, they're kind of, they're sort of turning points in how we as a, as a culture view sex as part of, of uh, you know, what makes us tick? I mean, the, the standouts, we mentioned Profumo. There's mm. also the incident of um, Jeremy Thorpe. He's having an affair with a man, Norman Scott. And this led to, we all saw, the, we all saw the, the fantastic drama with Hugh Grant, the bizarre instance of Thorpe attempting to procure the murder of Norman Scott. And in the end, the dog gets shot. And yet with hindsight, people look at it and now and we go, well, here's, here's a, a gay man in an absolutely impossible position, and another gay man, Norman Scott, who actually comes across rather as a hero of the story. Are there moments in, in of kind of sexual misbehaviour in the past that you look at and go, yeah, that really tells us something about Britain? I think that when you look at a lot of the really big sex scandals, and we're all aware of what they are, we're now in a process of revising them and going back over them and going, maybe we're focusing on the wrong thing here. 
So like the Perfumo affair, which I, I keep mentioning, but it's one of the big ones. You know, John Perfumo, he'd, he'd had an affair with Christine Keeler, who was like 18 at the time. And the reason it hit the press is because there may have been, she was having an affair, she having a relationship with a, a Russian naval attache and there may have been spy stuff mm. going on. I don't, think, I don't think there was, but there may have been. And the whole thing came out as this huge big scandal. And what got lost in it is there was, there was an 18-year-old girl there who had, who had left home, was in London by herself, was so vulnerable. And this much older married politician decided he would he'd, he'd have an affair. And she got so much blame and stigma mm. heaped on her throughout all of that. And that wasn't fair. And I think about the Monica Lewinsky affair in the same way yeah. now. I think people are starting to address that. I'm going, hang on a minute. Hang on. She was 18 years old and so junior. And he was the married president of the United States. Yeah. And at the time, it was kind of both swept under the carpet, but also kind of, well, Bill will be Bill was the, Bill was, will was be the Bill. response. And that Monica Lewinsky was, became a butt of jokes. And yet now she looks like rather a kind of, you know, sort of a pretty kind of tough individual who had mm. everything ranged against her. Why is it almost men? I'm trying to think <laughs> of examples of women who've done this stuff. I was trying, I was thinking the exact same thing when you were just talking now. I think because. Maybe women are just better at hiding it, perhaps. No. I think that women are still held to a much more different standard than men are. I mean, could you imagine if we had a woman prime minister that had had five, six affairs, didn't know how many children she'd had, cheated on all of her husbands? Would that person ever have been elected? I'm amazed that the idea of a, a, a woman who doesn't know how many children she's had would be a real stretch, <laughs> but I get the point that you're making. Yes. I think it, it's weird. Boris doesn't know. Yeah, yeah, it, it's true. It, it, it would be impossible to imagine that. The only woman involved in a sex scandal at a kind of peer level that I can think of in big time politics was Edwina Curry and John Major, yeah. which is very nearly a relationship of equals. Okay, he was the prime minister, but I don't think he was exactly necessarily the alpha Bill Clinton, Donald Trump figure, which is why I like John Major. You know, he seemed to be a reasonable guy. But it's other than that, few and far between women in sex scandals uh, as active participants. It's true. It's I think because, again, we're dealing with the fact that politics throughout all of our history has been male-dominated. It's only in the last hundred years or so that women have even been allowed to be politicians, have the vote. So we're very, very underrepresented. So it might just be a case of, look, we're just getting started. Just give us a bit of time and we'll come up with some some fabulous sex scandals for you. But it's very different the way men and women are treated in politics, there's there's fewer of them. They are held to a much higher standard. And also, perhaps we're back to powerful men. There's a whole thing about them, isn't there? Seducing and, and moving on and getting away with stuff that perhaps doesn't exist for powerful women in quite the same way. Yeah. Do you think we're going to have to divide the world, the political world, into before Boris Johnson and after Boris Johnson? Because it's going to be very, very hard in the next parliament for the Conservatives to, uh, if they're in opposition, which I hope they will be, to point at a Labour MPs in fidelity in the sort of old fashioned term and get on their high horse about it, considering that they've produced, you know, not just, you know, ridiculous comical episodes like Matt Hancock, but they've also presided over an absolute epidemic of basic, grim, ugly sexual harassment. It's really ugly, isn't it? I was going to say it's been sad to watch. I'm really sad that it's all happened. Um, I feel very angry it's happened, but I'm really glad that it's being called out and that people feel able to 
say this should be happening. But that's the key thing is that if you tolerate this within your party, if you tolerate this kind of behavior, even if you really like the person who is accused of doing it, you are lowering the standards for everybody. Because as you rightly say, how can you possibly get on your high horse about any kind of behavior in the opposition if you have allowed that to continue? What I find kind of worrying and depressing is the thought that the Conservatives have managed to kind of cast themselves as the kind of, you know, the fun-loving criminals of this endeavour, you know, the Cavaliers, the sexually licentious party of abandon, which obviously speaks to middle-aged men because anybody else can look at that and go, yes, and it's all built on groping young women. And they simultaneously managed to cast the Labour Party as, you know, Captain Boring's no-fun party. And that that might be part of our, our, you know, as politics degenerates and degenerates and becomes more and more stupid, the Conservatives will be able to basically cast themselves as the fun party. You see that a lot all throughout history with famous politicians and kings as well, who were notorious for their womanizing ways, is they always, it gets presented as this kind of fun lad about town that we allow these things to happen. JFK is a perfect example of that. Like it's only just coming to light now, really the extent of that man's infidelity. It wasn't just that he, he liked the ladies. It was pathological what he was doing. But again, it was that kind of all caught up in that kind of charisma and, oh, we're the fun ones and don't be so boring. And, but what that masks is some pretty awful behavior because we're not just talking about you know, lads, 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 fun about town, everybody getting their rocks off. We're talking about abuse a lot yeah. of the time. And, you know, weirdly, the, the kind of closest representation of the JFK mindset is Mad Men and Don Draper, where it's <laughs> yeah. pathological sex addiction dressed up as as style and the new Camelot, isn't yep. it? Do you feel a bit sorry for uh, Neil Parrish, the Tory MP, who had to quit after watching tractor porn in the Commons? <laughs> it's, it's so small time. He said, uh, funnily enough, it was tractors I was looking at, so I did get into another website with a sort of very familiar name, and I watched it for a bit, which I shouldn't have done. It depends if you believe that story. Mm. I think, first of all, it, well, why were you... You were supposed to be in the House of Commons. Why were you looking at tractors? And also... <laughs> Just don't look at porn at work. I think that's a really easy yeah. rule to live to, unless you happen to work in the porn industry. I think that if you're in a big work meeting <laughs> and you're looking at porn, that's just, no. I'm just imagining a porn actor being fired for watching Yesterday in Parliament on set. <laughs> but, I mean, if you've seen those debates, I can imagine why your mind would wander. Oh, it would, but it would wander to Facebook or it would wander to Twitter or it would wander to some Google page, not tractor porn. That's quite, that you just, it's back to that thing, isn't it? Just don't do it. Just don't look at porn when you're in the House of Commons, even if it's really boring. I've been in boring meetings, you've been in boring meetings, and I've never felt the need to, to look at porn. Well, not tractor porn, at least. Not tractor porn. We have some limits. We do. Um, finally, do, do you miss the kind of old-fashioned 80s, 70s-style sex scandal when we could kind of convince ourselves that it was Carry On Westminster and comparatively innocent and you could watch and be amused by the kind of, you know, the like I say, the Garden Gate apology in the David Williams style rather than, you know, accepting an understanding that it's just the tip of a very grim ice- iceberg? That's such a difficult question because I enjoy as much as anyone when some right-wing Republican Southern Baptist politics 
gets busted using grinder or something i love it when that happens that kind of thing but i don't know what would i have to can can i have like the kind of the ridiculous we were just looking for badges can i keep that or do i have to also get rid of all the awful abuses that actually happen because i think those have always been going on when we never heard from the badgers in that particular scandal they may have been they may have had something very different to say about it we, but that kind of comedic carry on isn't it funny and we're all kind of it becomes like a an amusing story for us to all pass around i think that that has always masked a lot of damage that's going on at the same time and i think we forget that like i remember all the monica lewinsky jokes and i remember all the oh wasn't it hilarious and funny and and it was in its way but we never stopped to think oh my god there was like yeah. a teenage girl in this and we have all been really horrible so i don't know if you can ever if one of them could just go and have a really silly sex scandal where nobody got hurt and we could all have a good laugh about it that would be great but i don't think it works like that i think there is inevitably consequences and costs and and people, real people involved in this. This is why Neil Parrish deserves a knighthood for tractor porn. Nobody was hurt and everybody was Nobody serious. was hurt. Do you know what? We should give him that, shouldn't we? He shouldn't yeah. have been fired on the grounds that this was a sex scandal that hurt nobody. It was just funny. Yes. For services to tractor porn, you are knighted. <laughs> Kate Lister, we've got the title of your next book, The Silence of the Badgers. So <laughs> thank you for joining me on this. It was my pleasure. This powerfully so erotic much. edition of The Bunker. We hope to have you back soon. Also, you're a hero, a heroine, and our, on our other podcast, Paper Cuts. We love all your stuff there. You're forever getting bigged up on Paper Cuts. So maybe we can get you on that at some point. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for asking me on. I've had so much fun. Jolly good. Listeners, thanks for listening. Remember, as you know, if you want more podcasts like this, then please think about backing us on Patreon to keep us independent, here to keep the walls from the door. If you follow the links in the show notes or you just search Patreon Bunker Podcast, you'll find out how for as little as £3 a month, you can keep us independent, you can keep us financially secure, and you can keep us going. Thanks for listening. Hope you have a Lovely romantic day today on Valentine's Day. And if you're listening later, well, we hope it went well. We'll see you soon. Good news, your favourite history nerds are back. Yes, we at We Are History have been trawling the history shelves of our local bookshops. Well, I have, John. You mostly went round finding your books and moving them to the front of the displays. If I can find them, it's a bonus. We are ready to tell you all about what we've learned, from the revolting French to some revolting women. Via some Brits abroad and a foul-mouthed Irishman. So, download We Are History. Our laughable attempt at a silly history podcast. With me, John O'Farrell and me Angela Barnes wherever you get your podcasts The Bunker was written and presented by Podmasters group editor Andrew Harrison the producer was Liam Tate the audio producer was me Jade Bailey and the managing editor is Jacob Jarvis. Music is by Kenny Dickinson, and artwork is by Jim Parrott. The Bunker is a Podmasters production.